Good morning, Bethany. Well, while we are turning to Genesis 49:28, Neil, I'm right on task with you about the, the font um, on, the, on the Bible app. Unfortunately, I'm not talented enough or techno- technology enough to figure that out. <laughs> so I, I invested in a, an ESV Bible, and I, and I thought about the, the print thing, and, and they had large size, but they also had super giant size. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, yay, just, just for my, I turned 60 this year, so this is perfect. Um, However, I didn't know that I was going to need a hand truck to carry it up here. This sucker is heavy, (laughs) thus the bag. Anyway, (laughs) so please turn to Genesis 49, and we will... Well, I did have it. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, there's an extra 900 pages to this. this. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Okay. 49.28, and we'll be reading through uh, 50.14. All right, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There he buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him, and he kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him, with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. <clears throat> when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning of the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim, I guess. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pam. My name is Bob Yoder. It's my privilege, my honor to be able to uh, bring the word to you here this morning. As Pam just read, uh, near the end of uh, Genesis, the uh, story of Joseph and Jacob and that whole family is drawing to an end. And so our series on, on J- Jacob and Joseph uh, will, uh, will come to a close very soon. 
uh, as we deal with the dying and the death of Jacob. There's much, I believe, that we can learn uh, in this passage. And so before we go to it, I would like us to look to the Lord in prayer. God, there is much we can learn from your word. I pray that as we do so here this morning, as we open up your word and and look there for what you have for us, I pray that your spirit will work upon our hearts, that you will be the speaker, you will be the preacher of these words, and God, that, that we will understand and be enlightened by the spirit that inspired the word, that we will be enlightened in our own hearts and souls for how we are to respond to your word. God, let me not get in the way of your spirit, your preaching, your teaching here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, was looking forward to this opportunity uh, to be able to share with you. Uh, I think before I do uh, so, in, from this passage, I should probably uh, let you know a little bit about myself and, uh, you know, why I'm even up here today. Um, I'm Bob. My wife, Jackie, is in the one, two, three, third row. And uh, so we're, we have been coming here to Bethany for uh, probably about three or four years. We moved here to Canby in 2014. We, uh, we have uh, three children. And uh, just a, a little uh, side note about uh, how I preach. I don't preach from notes here on the page. I preach from the Word, but I also preach from the what appears on the slides. So um, I'm just going to let you know, we're going to go through a bunch of slides here this morning. Uh, The other thing I need to let you know is I will never put your picture up here without you first giving me permission to do so. (laughs) However, I do have license because if you are related to me, You are part of my family. You have been involved in my history in some way or another. Be forewarned, your picture could appear up here. (laughs) And so that's how I'll introduce what I'm about to share with you this morning. Amen. Amen. (laughs) My wife and I, Jackie and I, have three children. We have three children. Uh, You thought you had the cutest uh, family. These are not our three children. (laughs) That's my brothers and I, taken uh, when we were just uh, young children. I'm in the the middle there. And uh, I, uh, that picture was taken probably two, maybe uh, maybe one year before I entered first grade at 91 grade school at Whiskey Hill. So those of you who are familiar with this area know where I'm talking about. We att- I attended first grade there at 91 uh, for one year, and then we moved into Portland. I grew up in Portland, uh, went on, spent a, time, a little bit of time in Alaska. That's another story, another time. Came back, uh, went to Portland State University, graduated at Portland State University with a uh, Bachelor of Science in Engineering degree, and went to work for the U.S. Forest Service. That was my first career. I worked for the Forest Service for 32 plus years as an engineer, helped them build roads. If you have a question about trees because you think I know because I work for the Forest Service, you ask someone else. (laughs) I I do not know a whole lot about trees, and so I can help you build a road to get to the tree, but I (laughs) I cannot tell you about your trees. I worked for 32 plus years with the Forest Service and then I retired early uh, having prepared for the ministry. While I was still with the Forest Service, I went to seminary at Multnomah Biblical Seminary uh, and uh, I uh, graduated there uh, 
being able to retire from the Forest Service, my goal was to go into the ministry, become a pastor. I pastored at First Baptist Church in Oak Ridge, Oregon for 10, almost 11 years until 2014. In 2014, uh, my parents, uh, Dwight and Carol Yoder, who lived at Hope Village over just across the way over here, uh, started to show signs of, of uh, decline, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, both of them uh, started to accumulate those signs. Jackie and I decided it was time that we, uh, we come and move close uh, to be there to care for and be a part of their life in their uh, declining years. 2014, we moved here. This picture was taken, I think, around their 50th anniversary. They were married for 73 years, uh, and uh, they uh, passed away in 2020. This was a picture of them probably about 2018, just enjoying life even though they didn't know what was going on. And uh, uh, they, it was just a joy to be, uh, be here and be with them and be a part of their life. One of the things I want to tell you about, about mom and dad is that dad wrote a book, uh, published it. Hardbound book. You can't find it in the library. You can't find it on Amazon. He only published a few copies, uh, enough to distribute to his family, his children. My brothers and I are our uh, children, so they're grandchildren, and uh, his, his uh, family as well. So there were just limited editions of Dad's book. He wrote his book about when he was 70 years old. Didn't know how long he was going to live, and this was one of his quotes out of, out of the book. He said, I have no way of knowing how much longer I will be here, but I have no regrets. I need not fear the crossing. That's the thing I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the idea of fear of death. Thanatophobia. Thana let me try it again. Thanatophobia is the fear of death and dying. I heard Jeff, Pastor Jeff, speak to the, the kind of the uh, top fears that people have uh, today, and fear of death is one of those, right alongside public speaking. And so, <laughs> as, as uh, well, you, you figure that out. I don't, I, I, uh, I, I was asked several times, are you nervous about coming up here today? It depends on how much you see me pace across here. <laughs> I was told in our previous church, the carpet is wearing out. <laughs> and so, and so uh, actually, I, 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 I just love looking at the word of God and sharing it with others. And so I'm glad to be able to do that here this morning with you. Thanatophobia is the fear of death and dying, and people approach it in many different ways. There, they are, there are some who get anxious and all upset about it and, and just avoid the question and avoid the topic entirely. There are others who just kind of put their head in the sand and, and ignore it and try not to, to try to put it off and, and, uh, and not accept it. There are some who will make fun of it. Uh, I found this quote from Woody Allen. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And so there, there is that sort of thing. We would rather not talk about it and, and, and just avoid it as much as possible. It's interesting that that kind of thinking has been around for hundreds, thousands of years. I found Epicurus, the, the Greek philosopher who lived well before Jesus Christ in, in uh, a couple of centuries before Christ, said this, death does not concern us because as long as we exist, death is not here. And when it does come, we no longer exist. That's the ostrich with the head in the sand sort of an approach. It's like it doesn't exist. While I'm alive, it's not there. When I die, I am no longer. Well, that's not even close to what the Bible teaches us about death. Death is a reality that the Bible speaks of. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. Death is a reality, but it's not the end. 
There is life beyond death. God, God told us about and promised us eternal life if we accept and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. So I would deny Epicurus' thought and accept more what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul had a hope and a desire, a longing, an a, uh, expectation for what was coming yet in his life as he said these words right near his death. So, Thinking about Jacob and his approaching death, we've got three things I want us to look at this morning. The first one is this, how that Jacob in this passage that Pam read reveals his preferences when it comes to death. There's an old Western song, it's uh, Cowboy's Lament. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie where coyotes howl and mournfully or whatever it it's, it's kind of a sad song because he's requesting to not be buried in the Lone Prairie, yet in that song, as it, as it continues, when he dies, his comrades bury him on the Lone Prairie. <laughs> That's not what Jacob is, is longing for. That's not what he's instructing his, his sons to do. If you'll notice in this passage, uh, verse 28 as he, uh, describes, okay, all of these were the 12, 12 tribes of Israel. These were his sons. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to them. Then he commanded them and said, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers. You see, this was a godly request that Jacob had had put forth to his, his sons. Back in Genesis 28, Genesis 28 is the passage where Jacob is fleeing from uh, Beersheba, headed towards uh, Haran and, and that uh, part of the country. He eventually finds his wives there. And, uh, uh, but on the way near Bethel, he has this vision and dream of a stairway to heaven. And in that dream, in that passage, in that encounter exchange, God tells Jacob, I will bring you back to this land. Jacob was leaving, and God's saying, I'm going to bring you back here. There was a promise from God, something put forth to Jacob that he was going to hold on to in his life. Sure enough, Jacob did come back. And Jacob did settle in, in uh, the land near, near uh, Hebron. And uh, as the famine came into the land and as uh, uh, the brothers go through that exchange with Joseph and all, all of the things that happened in those, in those chapters just preceding where we're at now, they come back to their father and say, Joseph's alive. We're going to go live with him there in Egypt. As he's contemplating going down to Egypt, God appears to him in a vision again. In chapter 46, at verses 3 and 4, you can read about it. God tells him, Jacob, once again, I will bring you up again. Jacob was getting along in years. He, he lived down in Egypt for 17 years after he got there. And uh, so he must have thought, well, well, I'm not going to probably make it. But God said, I will bring you up again. I believe Jacob held on to that. I believe that's why he said, oh, bury me not in Egypt. Don't leave me here, guys. You take me back and bury me where Abraham and Isaac, Rebecca, Sarah have been buried. The plot, the plot of land that had been prepared for them. And so in, not only in chapter 49, but in chapter 47, he tells uh, Joseph, bury me not in Egypt. You know, I believe this brings us to 
maybe our first lesson to be learned in how to die. <laughs> and it's this. Plan ahead. Plan ahead. My dad did not like surprises. There were, not, there were things that... I remember when we were planning their 50th wedding anniversary uh, and it was going to be a grand event, we had to let dad know everything that was going to happen in that, in that uh, ceremony, in that uh, celebration. And I, but I didn't realize how much of a planner dad was until we came here and, uh, and cared for them the way that we did. I found that dad had put in place his advanced directive, instructions for how he was to be dealt with should, should things become so drastic that, uh, he had to, that life support became a question. He had that all detailed out. To my cousin nurses, uh, it was a DNR, do not resuscitate sort of request. He had his uh, power of attorney all set up in place. What, before he got into his dementia, before, while he still had a sane mind, he prepared that power of attorney, had me, I'm the middle son, what's, what's the deal there? He had me designated as the one that uh, was to be the agent of representation in the power of attorney. He had that all, all laid out. Last will and testament, made sure I knew where it was, made sure I knew what it said even down to his last funeral burial arrangements, had that all lined out, paid for, let me know, I'm, mom and I are to be buried at Willamette National Cemetery. Uh, he was proud of his service for a country. But even beyond these plans, even beyond all the details that were there, Dad had a greater plan beyond death that he had put in place. He says in his book, I've reserved my place. I've reserved my place. I know where I'm going, and I'm ready to go. Near the end of his book, he says this, as a Christian, I need not fear death, he, that is God, tells us in the Bible that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Because of my faith in the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for my sin and taken judgment upon himself, I need not fear judgment after death. He also said, there is coming a time when every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I have chosen to bow before him now. Amen. Those who choose to bow before him after death will surely do so to their own sorrow and will needlessly bear the penalty of eternal separation from God simply because they had refused to accept what Christ had already done for them. The fact, in fact... They had not planned ahead. Planning ahead for eternity involves making your reservation. Telling God that I'm a sinner and I need your Savior that you sent, that Jesus Christ sent, was sent to cover my penalty. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. You pray that prayer Pray it fervently, honestly, from your heart. You've placed your reservation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Plan ahead. Learn your lesson now before you die. Jacob rests in peace. Let's talk a little bit about that for a moment. First of all, rest in peace is a common epitaph or common inscription on many tombstones. If you went to the cemetery here in uh, Canby or, or anywhere, you would probably find that inscription on multiple tombstones. 
uh, within the cemetery. But as I thought about that inscription, I, I, it came to mind to me, is that a prayer request or a statement of fact? You know, for many, I think it's a, well, I hope, I, I pray that they are resting in peace. But until they've, the, pers- the one who has passed has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there is no rest in peace. No, I believe for the believer, for the Christian, it's a statement of fact. Amen. There is a rest in peace with Jesus Christ. And Jacob is ready to rest in peace. Did you notice at the end of verse... Well, before I, I show you this next question. By the way... I told our growth group, now when I ask a question, do not answer it. (laughs) Our growth group is ready to answer it every drop of the hat. And so, uh, so here's the question. When was Jacob gathered to his people? At his death? Or at his burial. He had told Joseph, I want you to take me back to, to the land, the promised land, and bury me in that, in that cave near Mamre that uh, Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Rebekah, or Leah are all buried. I want you to notice the passage again that was read in verse 33. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last. He died. And then the next phrase, and gathered, he and and was gathered to his people. Jacob was gathered to his people when he died. That's what happens when we die. As believers, we are gathered to those who have gone with those who have gone before us. That's where we can rejoice. That's where a lesson that we can learn in dying is that we can praise God in it because there is joy in the end as a believer. I want to share with you Jeff Warren's testimony. I bring this in because... Many of you knew Jeff. Jeff uh, attended here, served here, uh, played drums here on the, uh, as part of the worship team. I told you that I would not show pictures unless I was related to you. Well, in a sense, I'm related to Jeff because his first cousin, his mother, is my first cousin, Carol Warren. So that makes Jeff my second cousin. So it's fair game to put Jeff's picture up here. You remember Jeff? Very much energetic for the Lord, always outgoing, wanting to to lead others to Christ and wanting to share uh, that word about Jesus in his life. Even as he was sick and ill and and, uh, over at uh, the marquee over here just across the way, he was sharing with those who were caring for him about the joy of knowing Jesus. The celebration of life that occurred right here in this room was a joyous occasion. It was great singing, great testimonies given, great uh, honor to to Jeff, but to God, the Father. Some, many of you, maybe some, many of you were here for that service. One of those who came that day was someone who didn't know Jeff. Bobby and Carol Warren's grandniece came and she brought her boyfriend who came to be in support for what took for for her her loss it was just a day or two after that service that their grandniece called bobby on the phone said bobby i need you to talk to drew 
And Bobby did. And Drew shared, I want what Jeff had. I want that in my life. Praise God, Drew came to receive Jesus Christ. Praise God, Jeff died with a testimony. Praise God that he was gathered to his people. Praise God that when Drew passes, there will be a gathering and a joyful occasion. What a joy in dying. Seems odd to say those things sometimes, but as believers, we can rejoice in it. Finally, I would just share this. Jacob's family respects their parent. In verses 4 through 14 of chapter 50, it describes this procession that takes place. Before we get to that, I want to just share with you kind of the journey Jacob has been on. I don't expect you to be able to read the details of this map, but hopefully you recognize this as the, the Middle East, the area of, of, uh, of um, Israel. Here's the Dead Sea, the, the Jordan River, and, and, the, and the Sea of Galilee in the north there. Jacob's life was, was a, a life of journey. He went from Beersheba up through uh, as he fled uh, Esau after the deceitfulness that took place. You remember that? Stealing of the birthright. He fled from there, went up past Bethel, had the, had the vision of the, of the stairway to heaven, went on up into, uh, all the way up into Haran, up to Haran where he uh, had this exchange with Laban for many years and the bartering that took place for the wives and then the sheep issues and all of the things that had taken place up there. And then he came down from Haran and came down to this side of the Jordan right in this area and met up with Esau. Esau came and there was this reunion of their, of their, of their relationship and, and Jacob told Esau, well, I'll, I'll follow you. You go on home. Esau went home. Jacob went the other way. And so, and so Jacob uh, crossed the Jordan, went over to Shechem. There was an account, the issue at Shechem with all of the things that took place there and then they moved on south and, and settled right here in this area of Israel at Hebron. And that's where Joseph and uh, the brothers all went out taking care of the sheep and whatnot. So that's kind of where J Jacob has been so far. And then there was this, uh, uh, the famine came into Egypt and Jacob went down to Goshen and lived in Goshen for 17 years. He dies there and his family was instructed to take him back home. There, the procession takes place, and I believe the route was probably this route. Probably, there, was, there were several ways in which they could go at that time. The main travel ways, there was a sea, sea route uh, along the sea coast. There was this more direct route up into, into Israel, and then there was what is called the King's Highway or, or, or the the eastern side of, of the Jordan. Here's why I believe that. Uh, notice in the passage that was read that it talks about a mourning for seven days that took place east of the Jordan. I find that interesting. Twice in this passage, it mentions a mourning uh, east of the Jordan. Why would they go east of the Jordan and then come back to the west? We're going to talk about some of that in just a moment as to the reasoning behind that. But first of all, I want, to, I want us to, to notice this. There is mourning that's taking place. It's described here. It's okay to grieve and mourn. It is, that's part of our human nature. When my mom and dad passed, there was mourning. There was praising for where they were but there was mourning for the loss that had taken place. It's okay to do that. It's okay to shed the tears. The other thing I want you to notice, I would, I would uh, draw your attention to, is the fact that others are watching. 
Did you notice as, as the passage was read that the Canaanites were watching what was going on? And they say, what a grievous morning is taking place over there on the east of the Jordan uh, with, all, with the Egyptians. What, what a grievous thing is going on. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse uh, 13, Paul wrote this. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Hope and grief for the believer. How does that happen? How does that exist together? What goes on in that? I found this quote from Alastair Begg. Alastair is a, a, a Scottish-born pastor uh, that uh, serves at a church uh, parkside community in Cleveland, Ohio. He said this, the fact that our loved ones who died in Christ are now with him lightens but does not remove the anguish of loss and loneliness. Until he, that is Christ, returns, we can find comfort knowing that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Remember the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. He was acquainted with grief. As we look to him as our example, as we see that he is the resurrection and the life, and as we look to him for our eternity, knowing this is what enables grief and hope to coexist in our hearts. So what hope did this family, Jacob's family, have? What did they have to testify of at their funeral? One of the reasons I think, I believe, that they maybe took the journey that I'm suggesting here is that it would have taken them through Edom and Moab, which is where Esau lived. I don't know if Esau even knew that his brother had died. This would have given them an opportunity to share with their, brother, with their uncle about the death of, of Jacob, to, to maybe mourn together, but also to express the hope because of the reunion that had taken place between Esau and Jacob that had restored some relationship. This also would have taken them north from Edom and Moab up to this area here, which notice it, it conjunctions with the trip that Jacob would have taken. Oh, and that's where Jacob wrestled with the angel of God. What an opportunity for the family to gather east of the Jordan and celebrate the memory of what had taken place in their father's life. My grandfather had, a, uh, had an eye that was damaged when he was real young. It just... Uh, uh, disformed his, his face in, in many ways. And as his grandchildren and my cousins often, when we get together, well, which eye was that? And how did that happen? Jacob had a hitch in his crutch. He had a, he had a limp ever after that time. I imagine the family got together at that place and, and said, this is where God touched our father, changed his name to Israel. This is where that happened. Then they crossed over the Jordan and got uh, into Shechem, around the area of Shechem and headed south. Would have taken them right past Bethel, right near Bethel, right near the place where the stairway to heaven had happened. This was a memory journey, I believe, that they took. This was a, a memory of what had taken place. This was an opportunity not only to grieve, but also to celebrate the life that had been lived. 
And from there, from Bethel, they would have gone on down to, to the area uh, near Mamre where the burial plot was. A prologue to this story. Jacob, or Joseph rather, Joseph returned to Egypt to his flocks and children. Right near the end, verse 14, I think it is, tells us that. If you look back at verse 8 in chapter 50, it says that Jacob and this entourage of his brothers and their family and the Egyptians made this journey, but the children stayed at home. The children stayed at home. And so the end of the story is Jacob returned to his children. I found this passage in Psalms, the psalm of, uh, a psalm of Asaph. In Psalm, uh, the, well, the whole concept here, the lesson to be learned is preserve the faith. Preserve the faith. Here's the passage in Psalms uh, that I found. He, that is God, established a testimony in who? Jacob. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, that children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. I imagine Joseph, when he returned to his children, he told them the story of this journey that they had taken. He told them the stories again of Jacob, of his faith in God, of his, of his uh, belief and hanging on to the fact that God would bring him back to the land. He told them all of those stories once again. He was preserving their faith. He was passing it on to the children, to the children yet unborn. There's a passage in Deuteronomy, verse six, or chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. It's a passage that I memorized as a parent years ago because I believe this was what God was telling me as a parent that I need to do. The passage says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. Did you see in that passage, it's every part of our life is to be lived thinking about, contemplating, talking about, living out the word of God. And the word of God, as has been preached directly from this pulpit, multiple, consistently, is the word of God always points to Jesus. And so Jesus ought to be a part of our lives in such a way that it comes out in all of our life. Our homes reflect it. Our, our work reflects it, hands and, ha and head. Our, our, uh, our families re reflect it. It comes out everywhere. Jesus is not merely to be a part of our life. He is to be the entirety of our life. And so many people today, nowadays, will say, like someone that I invited to church here today, I said, I'd, I'd like to have somebody out there that I, that, that I know. <laughs> I know some of you. But this, this, this person said, I can't get my wife to, my wife can't get me to come to her church. You expect me th that you can cause me to want to come to yours? I'll go to church Easter and Christmas. Too much of life today is like that. Too, much of, too many of churches will say, well, I'm going to devote my life for Christ and church on Sunday. Give me the rest of my life. No. It's not to merely to be a part of your life. Jesus is to be the entirety of your life. Well, so what? So what means, so what are we going to do about it? Three lessons. 
There's many other lessons I'm sure that the Bible would have for us, but there's three that we pulled out here today. Plan ahead, praise God, and preserve the faith. In closing, I'd like to share with you the story of Grandma Yoder. This is my grandma, Grandma Mamie Yoder. She was my mom's mom. Yes, mom was a Yoder before she married my dad. That's another story, another sermon. You have to invite me back sometime. I'll tell it to you. You probably can't see the tombstone here, but uh, this, was, this was Grandma Yoder's uh, side of the tombstone. It says 1895 to 1945. She died at, what is that, 50 years? Remember these guys? These were the children yet unborn when Grandma died. These were the children that were, that this family, that Grandma Yoder, Grandpa Yoder, that the, all of these in that, in that legacy of faith were wanting to be sure the faith was passed on to. My mom, our mom, uh, taught us things about the church and the word, the stories of Jesus, and the songs that pointed to Jesus. <clears throat> One of the songs that she taught us was a, a little chorus. It went something like this. <clears throat> Everything's all right in my father's house. In my father's house. In my father's house. Everything's all right in my father's house. Where there's joy, joy, joy. Mom told us, my brothers and I, that her mom taught her that song. There's multiple verses to that song. Many verses to that song. You're fortunate I only sang one. When I was probably in junior high, I was looking through the family Bible. You know, does your family have one of those where it's a big, thick Bible and has all the record of the family in it? Well, I was looking through our family Bible and out slipped an obituary. It was Grandma Yoder's obituary. And I read through it and looked at it and I can remember it, it was a typical obituary uh, told about her birth and death and the survivors and those kinds of things. Told about how she died. She died of kidney disease, uh, uremic poisoning. And then it went on and told a little more detail about her death. It said that as she learned that the doctors really had done all that they could and that she was soon to die, she gathered her family around her bedside, my mom and mom's sisters, my aunt, uh, my, uh, her, her mom's brother, and uh, her husband, and grandpa. They gathered around the bedside, and grandma told them, look in their face. She said, everything's all right. And then she sang two verses to the song I just sang to you. Mom never told me exactly what the second, I, I th assume the first verse that she sang was the one I sang for you. Mom never told me what the second verse was. But I think it may have been this. Will I meet you there in my father's house? In my father's house, in my father's house, will I meet you there in my father's house where there's joy, joy, joy. What was grandma doing? She was praising God in death. There was, she, would, she had placed her reservation. She knew where she was going. There was joy ahead for her beyond what was mournful right there at the bedside. But she was also preserving the faith. That testimony had a huge impact 
on a child that was yet unborn. How about you? Have you planned ahead for death? Have you reserved your place in heaven? In a moment, David's going to come and lead us through the time of communion. We'll sing a song and then we'll be dismissed. If you're here this morning and you've never reserved your place in heaven, I'll hang around up in this area here after, after we're all dismissed and you want to make that reservation, come up and talk to me. I can, I can share with you how God is inviting you into that place. You can plan ahead today. How about you? Can you praise God in death? <laughs> You've made that reservation and there is things that you are anticipating and looking forward to because you will be gathered to your people that have gone before you. Praise God. And finally, what are you doing to preserve the faith or what have you done to preserve the faith? Have you made sure that those that are, that are following you know where you stand with God today? Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for your word to us and the truth that is there for us to know and that we can hang on to that you have promised us a place if we will but come to you and receive you as Lord and Savior. I pray, I pray God that everyone here has planned ahead for that, for that place in their future. But Lord, if there are any here this morning that have not, I pray, Lord, you are working on their heart even now to want to have that gift received in their life. Thank you, God. Thanks for this time. Bless us now as we spend time at your communion table. In Jesus' name, amen.